Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode is that indie known as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film and a series topic, we cover six films that fit a C for classic, I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Because who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and I might not remember... Did I host a podcast with you, Brian? <laughs> I think? Some vague memory, I'm not sure. Oh, you definitely probably, probably got your brainwashed because of that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh hi i am brian and i i also have cried in my car listening to a beck song so i <laughs> really related to this movie <laughs> of course for sure but we're not the only ones here brian because we have another guest on uh she's a writer in her own right and you might have heard her on previous podcasts that used to exist on this feed uh miss lily Lavens. lily how's it going i'm great how are y'all uh, we're doing great. We're not crying at all, you know, no, like Brian definitely mentioned. Definitely not. Not yet. No. no, the night is young. That's true for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so we sent you a list of movies, uh, Lily, that we were doing for this season. You immediately uh, jumped on to this one, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Why did you want to come on for this one in particular? Well, it was difficult because you picked a lot of classics. This is such a like quintessential millennial even, you know, whatever's before Millennial and after Gen Z type movie, I think that so many people relate to, connect to. Um, Charlie Kaufman has that effect on people, I think, no matter how out there he goes, he brings it back to a place where I think a lot of people uh, can relate to. And I hadn't revisited this one in a while, so this seemed like a perfect uh, excuse to rewatch and analyze my feelings on it a uh, good like almost 10 years after I watched it the first time so um I I wasn't prepared for for how I feel about it now but uh it was it was like a no-brainer I had to rewatch this it's so so good yeah I had a similar thing where I hadn't watched in a while but I recently got the Kino Lorber blu-ray um and I was like I finally nice. got to play it I finally and this was as good as just saying like you mentioned but it's also interesting just because given our season that we're doing here which is one one Oscar it's interesting because this feels kind of like the quintessential example of particularly like a new millennium Oscar winning like indie movie for especially like it won for best original screenplay. It feels like definitely one of the great examples of like a movie that was so culturally significant in terms of like the critical sort of like darling face of it that everyone was like, well, we got to give it something. Let's give it best original screenplay. We're not going to give Kate that best actress award. Not yet. We got to wait for the reader. because That's exactly <laughs> what she deserves it for. <laughs> Yikes. But would you agree with that sort of sentiment of it, Brian? Like what this kind of exists as to like in that description for the Oscars? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, Charlie Kaufman has this thing of like, he is a really, really talented screenwriter that has very weird ideas that I think appeal to people who are like, maybe have not seen a lot of weird movies, like, you know, like Oscar voters, especially around this time. But for me, like this movie, I 
watched it in high school, which is kind of the perfect age to see this movie, I think. Yeah, um, 100%. And I related to it way too much. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I think it was my introduction into Charlie Kaufman. And I think for a while, I, I thought that it was one of the movies he had made or that Spike Jones had made. But um, yeah, I, I, I didn't really know much about Michelle Gondry at the time. And despite the fact that I had seen like, I saw the Green Hornet in theaters for some reason, which... I think I did, too. (laughs) I think it was a slow time for movies. I did as well. You know, it was Seth Rogen. It was January. Right, something. Exactly. Also a movie that I I own two Blu-ray copies of this movie. I was gifted it as like a... I I guess as like the movie person. People were like, oh, we'll just get you a Blu-ray. You like this movie, right? And they got me... Someone got me a copy of this movie, so I have two copies of it. But, um... Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I was kind of, like a lot of movies, I feel like, that you watch in high school and kind of, like, really cling on to. Um, I was a bit nervous to rewatch it, but yeah. um, it it still holds up for me, at least. Yeah, well, I, I had a similar thing, though. Sadly, that's a bit longer of an experience as, I believe, the oldest person of this trio. <laughs> Where it's like, I also hadn't seen it since high school, but that's a bit of a longer time for me. But, yeah, there's that weird thing that you're talking about where it's like, the movies that you would put on, like, your wall as a poster, not framed. Like, those are the movies you always worry about. Like, is that gonna just, like, suck so hard now that I have some kind of wisdom at this point? Um, And Eternal Sunshine feels like, in so many ways, because it is very 2004 in particular, like, it would just, like, be one of those movies that has not aged well now the 20 years since it originally came out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, especially considering you know, kind of a big thing that intersects with Oscars here is uh, Jim Carrey, who is, I think, just one of the most fascinating figures in sort of, like, 90s to 2000s, kind of, like, megastardom, and how he kind of, like, just piddled off after a certain point. But there was that time for a solid, I don't know, like, five or six years where he was really gunning for the Oscar buzz kind of thing. Like, after, like, Truman Show... And then leading to, like, Man on the Moon and The Majestic. Uh, there was that weird period where he wanted to really be treated seriously after being the clown. Which I find really fascinating. Though I'm curious, uh, Lily, what's your relationship to Jim Carrey? I think, like, most um, people, I grew up with him as The Mask and Ace Ventura. And all of these, like, uh, kind of cartoon come-to-life films. Because he has such uh, a force on the screen and is such an incredible uh, physical comedian. I also um, grew up watching In Living Color because my mom had like a drama teacher that worked on the show or something like that, but uh, we had some connection to it. And he uh, is so incredible on that. I don't even know how young he is there, but he's like, he's just um, like, relentlessly relentlessly funny is like the only way I can describe him and then yeah I think in this period where he wanted to be taken seriously like I am not Spock like I'm not funny um it's it's I kind of lost him in there and I don't think I was really judging I just don't think I was seeing a lot of these movies um but Eternal Sunshine really stands out because I think he toes that line very uh well between comedy and drama which are not very far apart as genres so i think he is like the embodiment of that because he can just do it do both so well you know yeah he has that real sort of like clown sadness kind of deal right that feels very natural 
Like, apparently that was the thing is that, like, uh, that uh, Michelle Gondry wanted him for the part. And it was mainly because, like, he just sensed this real sadness coming off of him. And, I mean, that's something that, weirdly, as, you know, time has continued on, we've kind of seen more and more, like, oh, that sad clown continues to be kind of, like, his main <laughs> sort of, like, online presence, especially <laughs> whenever he does anything. It's just, yeah. it's, it's so interesting. And he was also sort of, like, for me, he felt like the first actor where I was aware of him as, like, a kid. Where it's like, I gotta see the Jim Carrey movie. Like, I have to. He's, like, so silly and wild. Uh, but, Brian, what about you? Do you have a similar relationship to Carrey? I didn't really grow up with, with like, his classic movies at all, really. Like, um, I've never seen Ace Ventura, weirdly enough. Um, but I have seen stuff like The Truman Show and, unfortunately, the, the Grinch movie he made and, like, a lot of his kind of <laughs> later 2000s, like, output, which is what I kind of grew up on. And then, of course, you know both Sonic movies, which he's genuinely great in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I think I always kind of knew of him. He was always just there, you know, he's one of those actors and he's, you know, really one of a kind, right? Like he's one of those, just one of a kind actors in Hollywood. And even as someone who didn't grow up watching his movies, like I knew his kind of thing, right? Like I would see like, you know, I would catch a movie of his like on TV for like, 20 minutes or something and I'd be like oh I I know Jim Carrey but yeah I mean I I mainly know like you know I love the Truman Show and I love this movie and those are both more of his more dramatic roles more of his like you know quote-unquote serious roles that he's taken on he's so great in this movie I think and it's kind of insane to me how he can kind of like I don't understand how Michelle Gondry just like dialed him really down because there's not a lot of Carrie isms in this movie, but, um, but I, I love him. I think he's great. And he's just such a, a fascinating figure. Like Thomas said, you and I were talking about him like recently and his just kind of career and like where he is now and everything. And it, it's so weird to look at him now. The real perspective to have with that. Cause like when I was younger, I always thought like, Oh, like Ace Ventura and uh, the mass, those came like one year after the other. Right. No. 1994 is this crazy year where he does Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. And those movies make $750 million in 1994 money in one year. It's so fucking crazy. (laughs) And I think that's, that's the thing is that, like, he is just, like, this guy who, like, his stardom started up so quickly that by, like, the cable guy a couple years later, he's making, like, $20 million off of that. And the first actor to ever do so. And then leading into like sort of the serious period we're talking about. It feels like you can definitely see that sort of, I mentioned that clown sadness of him just being like, I'm like entertaining for the crowd. I'm in front of everybody. I'm doing all these voices. My face is distorting itself right in front of you. And I think that really weighs on him. And I think it's really shown that it feels like he kind of like stretched himself out. And this is just like the husk of a plastic man. Um, but yeah, you know what we've been talking a bit about, Carrie. Let's go ahead and just jump into the movie now. We're going to play the trailer here now for uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. My name's Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Do I know you? Change your heart. I had a, the best night of my entire life. <laughs> Look around. I love you. In order to recapture what you had. It's three o'clock. I'm crawling out of my skin. Change your heart. First, you need to forget what you've got. Okay. It will astound you. My name is Joel Parrish, and I'm here to erase 
Clementine Christian Scott. I'm racing you and I'm happy! By morning, you'll be gone! This is a hoax, right? I don't want this anymore! I want to call it off! Starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Easter Monday at 9 on 4. So uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out March 19, 2004 from uh, French director Michel Gondry, um, who has a very curious career, um, was initially known for doing a lot of music videos, and Brian Anderson, you've watched a lot of his music videos in the last couple of days. I watched a few research. of them, yeah, yeah. Um, especially just because he's made music videos for a lot of artists I love. Like, he, he did a Radiohead music video. Um, of course. He did Bjork music videos and, like, the a Daft Punk one and stuff like that, and, like... Yeah, a great music video director, but his his movie career is very odd. Um, which I mean, Thomas, I think you're more familiar with his movies than I am. Is that is that right? Uh, yeah, I've seen a, a fair amount of them. Because uh, I mean, he his uh, first feature is Human Nature, which I saw fairly recently, which was an interesting one because it's the first collaboration with Kaufman, um, and it's basically about like. Patricia Arquette is this woman who has grown up, like, ever since she was younger, she was super hairy. And it turns out she's, like, very much related to, like, pygmy chimps. And they find a male who's played by Reese Ephens, who is, like, has a similar kind of, like, hairy vibe. And Tim Robbins is, like, the scientist who's researching about all this. And he was in a relationship with Patricia Arquette. It's weird. It's not a great movie, necessarily. But you can see kind of, like, some of the Michelle Gondry, like, sort of forced perspective and... You know, that kind of, like, fun stuff that, like, we end up knowing him for. Um, but then his next feature would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, and then I've seen his uh, unfortunate person to bring up at the the concert movie, Dave Chappelle's Block Party. Which is Oof. a really good concert movie, though. Like, that's, like, where the fucking Fugees reunited okay. in, like, 2006 for, like, that particular one. Um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a fun concert movie, if, even if Dave Chappelle shows up. Um but then The Science of Sleep, which I haven't seen before, but feels very kind of twee 2006 indie like we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then Be Kind Rewind, which is a fun little movie where, like, it's, it's basically about, like, Jack Black and Yazin Bey, formerly Most Def, um, play two guys who run a video store. And it turns out they demagnetize all the tapes accidentally. So they just do remakes of the movies with, like, cardboard and shit. So you do, like, The Lion King, but there's, like, a cardboard line and shit like that. It's it's a very sweet movie, honestly. It's it's very cute. And then The Green Hornet, which we all have seen, apparently, and we all, I'm sure, <laughs> love dearly. Right? One you know, of the great I, superhero films. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. and um, Same. And I want that on the record, actually. <laughs> I mean, I have no inkling to, to rewatch it, although I, I am curious, especially because a lot of that cast is, like, Christoph Waltz is in it and like David Harbour apparently and Cameron Diaz and like it's a weird cast and a weird movie and a you know based off a weird like source material so but yeah that's kind of his last like Hollywood movie which is weird because then he goes back to France to stuff like Mood Indigo which just like I remember seeing the trailer for and I'm like oh wow this looks like exactly what you would do after a big budget (laughs) Like, blockbuster movie, like, an, a fantasy-driven romance in French. Of course you would. Um, but, but yeah, how do you feel about Michel Gondry, Lily? Well, I am only just now realizing he did Be Kind Rewind, and I do love that movie. And yeah. I was watching a little, like, 
behind the scenes featurette from Eternal Sunshine, where uh, that I'm sure y'all have seen if you have the DVD, but uh, they're just talking with people in the cast, but mostly Michelle Gondry and basically talking about how wildly creative he is. And he, he looks at the things that are not possible and he laughs at it and he, you know, takes it as a challenge and he's going to do it. And what I like about Be Kind Rewind is how creative Jack Black has to get in anything with Jack Black, like sign me up. But uh, it's not something, I mean, his filmography, I would not connect any of them to one another. I, I just, uh, I'm kind of amazed at it, but I guess with the Charlie Kaufman collaboration, you, I could see it in like the descriptions of that human nature movie and stuff. But from the just brief interview I watched with him, he does or did seem like an interesting figure. And I wonder what happened to him because I see echoes of this movie, particularly its visual style and so many other um, directors these days. I was just thinking about like, the Daniels um, and, yes. you know, Christopher Borgley, who just did Dream Scenario and Sick of Myself. And I guess Yorgos, you know, like all these people who um, have this profound visual style. But I do think is has echoes of these like wildly outrageously um, messing with size and perspective and like basically anything that is intangible he can bring to life. And so I just wonder how we get from that to the Green Hornet. And I'm not even trying to throw shade at that it's just like seems like such stark contrast so i i don't know how how to feel about him honestly i mean this happens to a lot of foreign filmmakers when they come over to the u.s with especially when they start off with like something a bit more intimate with eternal sunshine a bit more indie even though we're doing this as our eye for indie but it's a 20 million dollar budget and it stars like a guy who had just been in bruce almighty a movie that made like 500 million dollars <laughs> the previous year so it's and kate winslet of course star of titanic so shit like that so it is that kind of oscar indie where it's like it's not quite indie um but in, in any case it still feels like a very like odd interesting movie that grabs people's attention so hollywood's naturally like uh let's put you into a slot how about this green hornet movie we've been trying to make for a fucking decade sure you can do that i guess um, but, but yeah, I think the only real connection I see, even in some of Green Hornet, is sort of that, you mentioned, like, that DIY aesthetic that's kind of there with, like, the forced perspective and a lot of, like, the cardboard stuff that we see, um, and stuff like, in uh, Be Kind Rewind. There's, there's that kind of, like, familiar, almost like we're kind of making this from patchwork. Like, the, the music video I was actually watching right before we got on here was the one he did for The White Stripes. I believe it's called The Denial Twist. Which, like, it starts off with them performing on a weird version of the Late Night with Conan O'Brien stage. And it looks exactly like the stage, but it's just small. And they're normal people, like, performing <laughs> in it. And there's, like, a little person with a Conan cutout face that's just, like, moving around like, here are the white stripes, everybody. So it's that, that kind of, like, weird, surreal, dreamlike, as it were, state that fits perfectly for this movie. And I think it's also made this, well, probably getting more, like, this is one of the most influential movies of, like, the 2000s. Oh, for yeah. For sure. Like Lily's yeah, yeah. mentioned, you see so much of the ripple effects from this movie forward. To go back a bit to, like, his kind of creativity, I think, is, like, when you watch a lot of those music videos, like, you understand why he was given such a chance, like, a chance to work in Hollywood with, with you know, big actors and everything. Because, like, there's so much creativity in, like, all of those music videos that he made. And so you get why, you know, why Hollywood was like, we'll let you make a movie. Like, he, you know, he, he is such a creative person. I mean, as much as it is very 2004 with, like, obviously just the outfits, the hairstyles, the, the music, right? Like the... The F slur. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, true. Yeah. Very true. 
but all, even just the the kind of romance element of it, I think, is still really relevant in a lot of movies now, um, and just feels very modern. You know, it's weird to think that this is twenty years old at this point, but it it feels like it could have come out in the past decade or so. It, it doesn't feel like it's dated really. Besides that F slur, which is like a, she sells it, she says it, and you're just like, oh, Kate, what are you what are you doing? Yeah, Rose, what are you saying? <laughs> yes, Rose. No, stop. Not to jump too ahead into like the cast of this movie, which is insane. Like insanely, what a cast! But like, I can't imagine seeing like, and this is someone I just watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies like a couple weeks ago. It's very weird seeing like those movies and then seeing Elijah Wood in this movie because his look is so scummy, and then everything he does is so like scummy and like an awful. He's an awful person. And it's just so weird to get that after like seeing him as Frodo, who is like so sweet and like just such a lovely, lovely character. But yeah, just his his goatee. I just oh, <laughs> yes. unforgivable. <laughs> Absolutely insane. And particularly like, even his hoodie like feels douchey just yeah. as he's wearing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But he, he is great in this movie as is everyone in this movie i mean the the whole cast is just really really great and like i i mean we can kind of i guess dive into more of them but like you know kate winslet is is really incredible and like i i assume you guys as a bit older than me kind of really grew up on like kate winslet especially in titanic i would have i would assume right yes 100 yeah. percent. One of my favorite Kate Winslet roles, Deep Cut, uh, if you've ever watched the Ricky Gervais show Extras, which at its time was like excellent. I can't speak to anything that man does now, but back in the day, um, basically would always have some A-lister, typically British, make a cameo on an episode super casually because the premise is him and his best friend are both like extras on all these movie sets. Um, and Kate Winslet is in this like nun movie they're shooting and so she's like super religious and super devout and then she just has like the nastiest sailor mouth when the camera's cut and she's just so rude and awful and it was so there's something very satisfying about seeing someone who plays so sweet even in this movie she's a little idiosyncratic and impulsive but she's still very like a sweetheart and it's just so fun to see them break out of that and with this role i do think she is both kind of crass and uh cute but I just, I love that. And she can do that. And Mayor of Easttown, after watching that, she watching her vape convincingly, <laughs> she can do anything. Yeah. And it's especially fascinating because this is dur- during that kind of like Oscar uh, starved craze for her as well. Before, like I said, they eventually give it to her for The Reader. Because she's like nominated for Titanic and a, a couple other things. It's like during the like late 90s, early 2000s. And this one was definitely sort of like a different turn for her because usually she does play kind of like typical British roles and stuff like that. But this feels like a bit more opposite. And it's fascinating considering there's the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl that comes about weirdly the year after this movie comes out with Elizabeth Town to describe Kristen Dunst's character in that movie, which is wild to think about given she's also <laughs> in this movie. But um, yeah, basically just like, oh, this like, very flighty love interest who has these like weird kind of tics and is quirky and that makes her like get this main protagonist dude out of his shell. Like it's a common trope that happens and it feels like there were examples of that before Elizabeth Town, but it feels like Winslet is really kind of like deconstructing 
what a character like that can really be, especially in terms of like some of the implications that are like not not extremely stated, but there's kind of an implication that there's some sort of disorder with Clementine, perhaps bipolar, perhaps something like that. They do a great job of like really making her such a fascinating character and really developing sort of both sides of it between Jim Carrey and Winslet, but also still keeping it within Carrie's perspective for like most of it, except for when we do cut over to like her post the uh, procedure and stuff like that. I think they do a great job of like kind of balancing out like who she really is versus what uh, his perception of her is at the same time throughout all this. Yeah. I mean, it's because I also thought about like the whole manic pixie dream girl thing, like while watching this movie, but like she's far more like, you know, she's a bit prickly in a lot of like, you know, especially like their, their little like meet cue on the train and everything, the way she is kind of like a, a bit more like forward and a bit more like, I don't know. There's something kind of like, I, I can see why like Carrie's character is more like, is kind of like a bit put off by her, a bit like scared and intimidated by her. Um, but she does come off as quite confident, which I think, you know, kind of, helps alleviate a lot of that manic manic pixie dream girl energy she can be kind of crass and very like blunt in what she wants right like when she kind of asks him like about the baby right and, like i don't know mm-hmm. the, it's a lot of that stuff that i think makes her a bit more of a three-dimensional character as well as like what you said where like keeping in mind that like all of a majority of this movie is is Carrie's perspective basically, which I think right. is such a fascinating way to handle that like idea, even though like it hadn't happened yet. Right. Cause it's the next year with Elizabethtown, but it's a, a really like interesting kind of dynamic there. Um, and I think Winslet, Winslet is really great in this movie. Titanic was probably one of the first movies I ever saw. And so she was one of my, like, you know, first times ever seeing a, a movie star. And I, I love her. I think she's great. And like, um, a couple years after that, she does like Little Children, which I think she's really great in, which she probably should have won an Oscar for. I'm going to be honest. No, um, the reader, buddy. That's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Holocaust drama, <laughs> where she can't read. That's where that's where it's at. But uh, yeah, I, I still love her though. Like I, I actually haven't seen Mayor of Easttown. I, I really want to. I've seen like pic- yeah. pictures of her like vaping, and I'm like, this sound, this is so great. Mood. But like, <laughs> she's great in like Avatar: Way of Water as well, where she's like playing like yes. a you know she's yeah she's a great actor and i think she often does do like a lot of bad weird movies like remember collateral beauty <laughs> it's like oh oh boy do i remember collateral yeah beauty. never forget collateral beauty <laughs> <laughs> um but no yeah she she's really great in this movie and i i just i think her character is really fascinating and i think has really aged interestingly but i think is a still has a dimensionality to her. Charlie Kaufman is really excellent at revealing people in like a methodical, careful way. One of my favorite movies is Adaptation. And I just love the way that each character is introduced and how their relationships to each other uh, morph and evolve just as they do in real life, but at a different pace because we're watching a movie. And I think what Eternal Sunshine does well is we really do only see her from his perspective at first. And we see these very surface things like, oh, maybe she has a drinking problem. She says she changes her hair a lot. She seems very kind of erratic and impulsive. And these things are all true. And then what 
you find out is also true. She's also very sensitive and she tries to connect with him. And she just, what always breaks my heart is just her saying like, I want to know you. Like I, you know, want to know who you are. And it doesn't seem like she's asking for much at all. And she's very caring and, and sweet, but also the reality is it's not the, the easiest thing for people to do sometimes. So I think they just do a really good job of not giving away all that at once and where other manic pixie, pixie dream girls might lack is that you kind of get a lot of surface level aesthetic things and not always a ton of depth, but I think she has it. Yeah. I think a big part of that is like the initial scene where we see her, uh, where she's on, uh, the subway with, uh, on the train with, uh, Jim Carrey. I think that, and also the scene later on that we do get where like, we actually find out how they first met on the beach. I think both display that kind of thing where she, comes over to him after she sees him kind of like over awkwardly to the side kind of looking at her and not really knowing what to do where she sees it like oh this is another person who feels kind of outcasted so i do want to kind of like like having a conversation with them trying to know a bit more about them like you're mentioning lily and i think that's what makes her instantly very warm but at the same time you can tell why like these two people are attracted to each other and then why later on that relationship just falls apart because they're two just like personalities that can't really mesh in actual like stable relationship for very long she she takes his chicken <laughs> that's true takes his chicken <laughs> right off the plate exactly the, the the first move any lady should really do just take some chicken <laughs> off the plate i love carrie's like, delivery where he's like and then you just took it without like i mean without me saying anything like i, I <laughs> but like I, I mean and and to kind of go into the the charlie kaufman of this all which is so fascinating and he's such a fascinating writer of course but i think what what's so great about this movie is that kaufman is so great at writing like kind of pathetic people you know like really like sad sacks and like he like obviously like adaptation has a lot of that and being john malkovich has that and like his own movies that he's directed have a lot of that but like the thing about carrie in this movie and like the is that he is that character and it, it almost feels like especially watching like ad rewatching adaptation like it, it feels a bit like he's making fun of that idea of like someone who is so like self-deprecating and like just so like down all the time and yet i think he handles it with like a, a real sincerity for that character like like you said lily he really like cares about like his characters and, and people and like unraveling these people um and I just find that so interesting, the way that he's able to, like, still make one of his characters in the way that he does. Like, Jim Carrey feels totally like a, like a Charlie Kaufman character. Um, although his hair is, like, less frizzy than it should be, I feel like. like but, um, yeah, like, I, I think Kaufman is a really, like, I think people, when they think of Charlie Kaufman, they generally think of, like, him having such a wild imagination. He comes up with these crazy ideas, but... When I think of him, at least, I think of how great he is at writing people and really understanding, like, what makes people tick and, like, their different, like, problems that they have, just things that they're going through and all that stuff. And I think that's, like, such a great element of this movie. And it's it's one of the reasons I just love Charlie Kaufman in general. But, I mean, yeah, how, how do you guys feel about Charlie Kaufman overall? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I... <laughs> I, hmm, I I think I like him so much that I have purposely 
purposefully, purposely avoided certain films of his that I get a vibe that I'm not going to love it. I could be so wrong and I hope to be proven wrong and I will watch them someday. But like, I remember when I'm thinking of ending things came out, it was so polarizing that I wanted to wait for like the discourse to die down. I was like, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And I still haven't, but I just, I love adaptation. I love this movie. I didn't finish um, being John Malkovich. Um, mm. It's one of the few movies I have I have turned off. I was also too young, I believe, for that. So, sure, it might have been the problem. But I don't know what. What about what about you, Thomas? Charlie Kaufman, especially ever since he started directing things, I've dubbed him the king of dude. Are you okay, cinema? <laughs> yeah, because like. Oh, yeah. All of his movies, like, it's interesting because when you have these ones that weren't uh, written by him but were directed by somebody else, like Eternal Sunshine or Being John Malkovich, there's a bit more at least whimsy coming off the directors who can take, like, sort of his surreal elements and create a bit more of, like, a fascinating, uh, fantastical world that at the same time complements kind of the tragedy that underlines his movies. And then when he's behind the wheel... He just does not stop with, like, the bleakness. Especially, I think of Ending Things is, like, one of those movies where I saw it in the deep pandemic, and I thought it was great, but I also never want to watch it again. It feels like truly such, like, a very inward look at just, like, a person completely collapsing. (laughs) And I'm just like, I don't know, especially at that time, in, like, I don't know, September 2020, was a weird time. (laughs) A great thing, where nothing bad was happening. (laughs) Right, good point. Um, But... Yeah, I think that that's the thing is I I love even his movies like Snecked in New York is another example of that where I just love like how that movie just unravels with like it it's escalation of just the weird fantastical layers of like a play like a, a playwright writing a play and then oh it turns out he is actually part of the play and the play never ends and the play keeps going <laughs> and stuff like that it's just insanity that at the same time I'm very compelled by but also once again anytime I see a movie's directed just like do you do you need to talk Charlie. Trying I mean, to talk to somebody. Yeah, I specifically did not rewatch Synecdoche, New York, or Anomalisa, uh, or I'm thinking of editing things before this because, like, yeah, that 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 element has always been there, of course, right? And all his movies like ha- deal with people who are like deeply depressed and like, <laughs> yes, you know, have a very bleak look on on kind of their life. But like, really, when he starts directing, is really when like I, I start to like be like i i don't think i can deal with this right now like i don't think i can deal with the themes of synecdoche new york especially right now um yeah he's also just such a fascinating figure because he like he clearly has such an understanding of like his place in hollywood obviously and like adaptation is so much of that like but really in recent years especially as he's like struggled to get projects made and just has not really been able to keep working yeah, like I'm, I'm a bit worried for him at times, but I, I, I just always really want to see what he has to do because he is such a really great writer and he's a great director. Yeah, I, I think he's such a fascinating figure, but I don't know. Yeah, he is. He has a bleakness, and especially with working with like Spike Jones, who is like very weird to think about as well. Just it's very weird to think that like Charlie Kaufman and a guy from who was known for like jackass and like music also music videos like made movies together for a little bit it's a weird combination um but yeah i love him and he he's one of these guys who i'm like i wish that he was just given like permanent blank check forever to just make whatever he wants because he's so he's such a specific like figure i think and like people love his movies but 
he he's just kind of struggled in years to to get projects made, which which kind of sucks. Um, so wow, they seem so commercial. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, I, why didn't Netflix release that thing of ending things at a time where theaters could be open, just like everyone's blockbuster <laughs> packed into them thinking of ending things? Um, though it is also weird. Like apparently, one of the things he's done to like kind of make a living during all this is he has rewritten a lot of DreamWorks movies. Like, he rewrote Kung Fu Panda 2, apparently did a draft on that, Weird. which is odd. And apparently he has, like, a one that he's getting writing credit for called Orion and the Dark. Yeah, I've which seen is like, this. <sighs> right. That's an upcoming DreamWorks movie that he just has a writing credit on. <laughs> so I'm sure it's going to be a great, entertaining kids movie. It doesn't deal with it's any dark, depressing traumatize things Traumatize those children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think with Eternal Sunshine, it, it's such a great balance of what we're talking about with like that kind of sad sack energy from a carry, but also at the same time, the, the, the complexity of like how the story is told non-linear, non-linearly, I can say that word correctly. Um, and I, I just love that, um, he, he's able to watch, especially like this is a movie where I hadn't seen since I was in high school, but I've just like had it on in the background and watched it with the commentary in just the last couple of days since I rewatched it. And it's so fascinating just seeing all the details when you rewatch it of just like, oh, wait, yeah, that's why. Because, like, when I first saw this, it blew my mind. It's like, oh, wait, he's, like, in the memory thing now, like, this whole time he's been there and we're just, like, experiencing it. And I think, like, Gondry's style complements that beautifully, where it's just, like, how certain, like, uh, memories fade out. Like, that one bit where he's talking to the guys, he's getting uh, mail out of his mailbox where we see initially yeah. just, like, the actual memory, and then we see, like, the fading version of it, and how that guy just literally disappears into the fuzzy abyss and everything. That feels like it could be, in a Charlie Kaufman-directed movie, that would be, like, a nightmare that you couldn't really fathom, versus here it just feels like it's odd and it's off, but it still is, like, fascinating to where, like, you want to just know more at the same time. I think that could only happen with, like, Gondry doing this service to Kaufman's work. There are even elements that could be like horror when the their faces are kind of distorted and, yes. you know, just various quick cuts that are so jarring. I love how it's like 10 different genres in one. And that's that's why I brought up like the Daniels earlier, because it just has a an everything bagel quality to it as well. It's like I love a maximalist mm-hmm. movie and I love that every detail matters it, no, nothing is a is a mistake or an accident. I just think it's so cool. But at the same time, it's like a it's a casually maximalist movie. True, which is so interesting right, about yeah. it, where it's like there's so much complexity, but the style of it is so like grounded in DIY that like the scene where um, Carrie's like sort of entire world is breaking down, he like goes up to Elijah Wood in the bookstore and turns him around just the back of his head oh, <laughs> the entire time. It's a really cool effect, right? That has like kind of like a weird nightmare quality, but I love. I was watching a a behind the scenes thing of how they shot that and they just had Elijah spinning around in the chair for a while so then they would just map on like the back part just throughout the with like later in post-production and it's like that's how simple that effect is but like it's so unsettling but not in a way that like once again in a Charlie Kaufman movie you would be like in a corner crying about it (laughs) I mean there's so many details I love like that are kind of like because, yeah, it is a maximalist movie, right? It's doing a lot. And a lot of those, like, you know, I, I think of them as dream sequences, but they are, like, when he when they're in his head and going through all, like, the memories and everything, like, they feel dreamlike, and yet they are, like, so 
there, a lot of them are quick, right? Like there's like one scene and then we're moving on and a lot of like the effects there are kind of weirdly subtle sometimes. Like I love when they're, um, I guess it's when thinking of it chronologically after when, uh, after they're at the Montauk house and he goes to like her job at Barnes and Noble and you can see like all the books like slowly like disappearing one after, and it's not like drawing your attention to it, but it's just slowly happening in the background and it's just a really like simple, but really effective like effect um, like that one. Same or, the one where like he, all the books disappear and then he like suddenly goes through Jane Addams's doorway. That's very yeah, casual. Transition. Yes. It's a really like great transition. And I think that's like a Michelle Gondry thing, right? Like that's kind of one of the things he does in like a lot of his music videos of just like transitioning from two different points in the story just seamlessly. Right. And he does it a lot in this movie, like all of the, the mind stuff when he's, they're just like, uh, I guess they're trying to like hide from Tom Wilkinson, like trying to find them in the dream. It's very weird, but like all those sequences are just really seamless and really bleed together in a way that I just like found really like beautiful still and feel very dreamlike, um, which I, I, yeah, is a weird, it's a very interesting marriage of, of Gondry and, and Kaufman kind of doing those two like, nightmarish but dreamy and hazy kind of things uh which i love to, to the degree that that's how i kind of like imagine when i think of like me having a, a a dream or me like experiencing a memory it feels kind of like this where there's right. obviously like a movie like quality to it but there's also like we're mentioning kind of like the uh environments bleed in between each other it almost feels yeah. like you're kind of like on a stage and like the sets are moving right, around yeah, and stuff like, like that yeah and I like how it's also like feels like diminutive, but just quirky and whimsical because it it could like I said could just be horror, like you said, like a nightmare. Um, it's all very still like there's a a charming quality to it because, which I think is necessary because on paper it's a very sad story. And I remember avoiding this movie for years because I have a phobia of sad movies, and everyone told me it was sad and. So shame on those people because it's actually like a very healing movie, I think, um, yeah. or it can be. But part of why it is is because it's it is so dreamy, it is so um, so whimsical and nice. And I also just another like aesthetic technical element. I love how the the science fiction is so like mundane and casual. Like we're talking about these casual maximalism thing all the chords with their tech at his place and it feels also like remnants of the 90s as well but um that kind of existed in the early 2000s but i just it makes it all feel so much more real like this could actually happen um at some point and sometime which is weird to think about this movie as a as a sci-fi movie which it, it is technically yeah but like I, yeah i love all that stuff like the device that he has to like wear on his, like they put on his head and like the, I love Mark Ruffalo's like little laptop that he has, which is such a very like early two thousands laptop. Yes. I love the way that it is kind of handled in that. Like, like you said, it's very mundane and it's very like, like it's their job and it's just very casual and it's very, it's not over explained really. And yet you just, you get it so quickly and you get what's happening and it's just, I don't know, really well done about that. But I think, like, the movie as a whole feels very almost light on its feet in a weird way. Like, it like it, it doesn't feel, like like you were saying, Lily, like the kind of quirkiness of it 
where if Charlie Kaufman had directed this, I feel like it would have definitely like felt overbearing and very like oppressively sad. But I think Gondry really adds that lightness and that like weird quirkiness to it, which is weird to describe for this movie because it's also dealing with like very heavy topics. I think it helps that it's quirky, but not twee. Precisely. Because like there's a version of this movie that also would be much more twee and annoying and wouldn't quite work as well. Like honestly, I think of that with something like um, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, which I think is a movie that definitely loves this movie. Yeah, I don't think is nearly as good as it thinks it is. I was gonna say Five Hundred Days of Summer, but that's that's a better that's a better example. God, I hate that movie. Um, <laughs> I like me and me Earl and the Dying Girl for me too. For the record, <laughs> but I'm I'm a bit alone on that island. But yes, I, either of those aren't a bad example of that to me. <laughs> Should we get into more of the, um, a bit more of the the supporting cast here? Because we, well, we I mean, you were to... mentioning Ruffalo. Oh. And your background, we should mention, Brian, is uh, <laughs> Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst dancing in their underwear. An amazing sequence. So good. Truly. <laughs> yes. Especially for, like, the weird, like, it's, it's such interesting comedic relief for, like, while this is going on inside Jim Carrey's head, he's, like, at the pond that's frozen over where all the, like, lights are turned off, basically, and Kate Winslet gets, like, dragged. Like, she's yeah. in an Evil Dead movie and shit like that. I mean, while they're dancing while high. I love it. I mean, it's definitely an HR issue, but I think it's really oh. funny. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of problems with their work ethic, I would say, based on this. Like, I love that they feel like two, like people who have been at a job just long enough to where it's like, nothing's ever gone wrong. So we can, like, fuck off and do whatever as long as I'm, like, just keeping an eye on the laptop. But uh, then everything just turns to shit. It's, like, perfect. It always, like, is so funny to me that they they are, like, drinking his, like, alcohol and, like, eating his food and everything, which is... It's such a like shitty thing to do but i just think it's so funny that these guys like go to they do this job and then they're just always like just drinking people's alcohol and like just stealing their shit and everything and like when elijah wood is talking about like clementine and he's saying how like when we did her like i i, I took her underwear and everything and mark ruffalo is like do you know what like how unethical that is and then they both have like this like weird like laugh like... Yeah, and they just start laughing. But it, it is interesting because it's like in a movie that explores so many what ifs, it's like if you think about what if we did have the technology to do this and what if this was like, you know, another um, capitalistic endeavor, like this would absolutely happen, unfortunately, with yes. with anyone. And I'm not even trying to say it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, hashtag not all men, but, you know, it's just like, of course, that, of course, Frodo would do that. And of course, um, Mark Ruffalo would kind of chastise him and then laugh about it while they're like smoking a joint. It, that's part of like, I, when I say quirk, I think I just mean like offbeat. It like goes all the way deep into like even the darkest parts of this movie. It's just still like there's a sense of humor, which is like true to life, you know? So I think it's it's fitting. Yeah, I love particularly like the uh, office that they're in, the little like uh, facility that uh, the whole brain drain thing is in. It looks like perfectly shitty right where it's like this is a thing that exists but like it's clear like they're not doing great necessarily i love in the commentary it's my favorite moment where it's super french michelle gondry and charlie kaufman talking and kaufman says like oh yeah their digs don't look great and michelle's like oh digs what are these digs it's like their their office doesn't look great but it's true like i think that's that's part of like the charm i think that we're kind of mentioning the offbeatness is that like this is like something that would be in a strip mall 
Like, there's probably yeah. a fucking, like, a Cold Stone Creamery next door or something <laughs> that, like, uh, gets way more traffic than these people do. And I think that's what's, like, so fascinating is that, like, it's so, once again, that kind of, like, lower DIY aesthetic that, like, yeah, you could see why, like, Ruffalo would think to fuck off and just, like, hang out with his girlfriends and eat donuts while they're smoking joints. And I really want to mention, this is an underrated Dunst performance for me. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. She's like so amazing in so many things but this is like a, a great smorgasbord of all that she can provide with like her like sort of stoner girl initial outlook which is like she's just dancing and then especially when things start fucking up she just keeps saying i'm so stoned i'm so stoned <laughs> and like particularly her when tom wilkinson comes in and she's just like kind of babbling in the way it's like oh yeah this is exactly what like a stoner when they're trying to, like, look cool in front of their boss. She just the, pulls the chair they out do. for him. She's like, here you go. And we're <laughs> yes. good. And everything's fine and normal. <laughs> That's so good. And then when it turns and we find out, that like, oh, she was a part of this. And she, like, completely breaks down. It's, like, the first real indicator of, like, oh, yeah, somebody's gone through this. And when they realize that they've gone through this, it feels like almost they've been violated by, like, themselves in a weird way. It kind of reminds me of, like, if anyone has seen Severance. Uh, yeah. Which has a similar kind of thing. Yeah, weirdly indebted to this movie, actually. No, I would love oh. to watch it, but unfortunately, Apple TV shows aren't real. They're, they don't really exist, so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, when you're on the same network as C. Yeah, come on, That's C. a good point. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> fucking, I don't know, uh, The Morning Show. That's, I don't know. <laughs> oh, The Morning, yeah, they got all those SAG nominations. <laughs> what was that as Tom Holland one that, that came out this year? That, uh... Something about like a Kenny bird Green, or... The crowded room or something. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. well, I mean, also Cherry in terms of cinema. Ugh. I mean, Ugh. wonderful. Oh, God. One of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, I'm not joking. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But, um, yeah, no. I Kirsten Dunst, who is maybe one of my favorite actors, who I have been in love with ever since I saw her in Spider-Man when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, I this is my favorite actor ever also i'm in love with her um <laughs> but she she's great i mean she's incredible whereas like i love her in all the sofia coppola movies especially like marie antoinette uh melancholia despite a lot of the stuff around that movie but um what that really fun movie that everyone can watch and just have a fun time watching? a great press conference too at the Cannes film festival nothing <laughs> weird or bad happened. one of her great performances really no weird controversial opinions or takes <laughs> no to take not at all but I think no. I, re I remember when I first saw Eternal Sunshine and I was really like, I guess, surprised that it focused so much on like the workers, right? Like Kirsten Dunst, Ruffalo, Tom Wilkinson, because I, I just wasn't expecting the movie to go that deep into like the inner workings of like this operation, I guess. And it's a really surprising and yet like a really fun element of the movie. Like you guys are talking about, like them dancing is so much fun and so great. And like just them like drinking and having a good time. Almost every time I've watched this in the past, I forget about the the Kirsten Dunst uh, kind of reveal that she has had the operation done in regards to Tom Wilkinson. And it is one of the most like heartbreaking things in this movie to me because it like... I don't know, it is so beautifully handled, the way that, like, his wife is like, you can have him, you already did, and then just drives away. And it is just uh, this, like, yeah. really, like, heart-wrenching moment, and she is so great, especially in the last scene that she has with, like, Ruffalo, 
where Ruffalo's like, I, I really liked you. Like, I actually liked you. And I, I, I didn't know about, like, any of this stuff. And they have just this really great, like, final scene where they're both just, like, accepting their situation. And it's just so, so beautiful. And, yeah, she, she's so great in this movie. By the way, shout out, you mentioned her kind of a Deirdre O'Connell plays Wilkinson's wife. Yes. Who has, like, um, two scenes in this movie. And fucking rocks it, especially that scene you're talking about. I totally forgot also about how deep we go with these supporting characters as well and Kirsten's uh, role in it too. And I think it's brilliant because it kind of drives home the point of the whole film if by this point in the movie you haven't like learned anything. Um, it's It kind of makes it all real for me at least because there is just such a like uh, freewheeling or almost stream of consciousness type a experimental vibe to everything we're seeing with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's characters and just seeing their relationship out of order and you get to know so much about them to then be ripped out of that fantasy slash nightmare and then into this reality that is the aftermath of what happens with this and a very unique specifically kind of predatory dynamic that uh, the aftermath of that is like I don't know, it makes it a really, really harsh reality of like the consequences of this. And if anything, what kind of placates it is like the end with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. But um, I don't know, it it is kind of, uh, it kind of complicates things even further for this movie. And that's why I have to give kudos to it because I was also a bit nervous to rewatch because I just romanticized the hell out of this movie um, like everyone did when they were young. And I was a freshman in college watching this in film club with a guy I had a crush on. And it was like, everything was like, the stakes were perfect for me to be obsessed with it. Um, and then watching it now, I was like, oh, am I going to hate it? But I don't. I do have some evolved feelings about eternal sad boy of the incel mind, Jim Carrey's character. But um, overall, I think that everyone involved does a really good job of hammering that point home of the kind of necessity to the pain because it's all wrapped up in the pleasure and vice versa sorry i kind of rambled about that but no I, i'm oh, curious no, a bit I'm more about some of those like sort of negative things because we've been very positive and glowing about this movie so far so what, go ahead i love it and i'm not trying to shit talk i think it's just like <laughs> the film is simultaneously self-aware and delusional but that's how i think mm -hmm humanity is and charlie kaufman gets it more than anyone else so i don't uh think anything is a mistake or bad um i love when clementine says toward the end i'm not a concept i'm just a girl looking for a piece of myself which i think is both like beautiful profound deep and also kind of like hashtag just girly things like it's kind of a very simplistic <laughs> uh thesis you know to this very complicated woman it's like ah that's the that's like the the core of her but I think that's true to most people and we just saw it like very much zoomed in on one couple but then even in the little bits we see with the supporting cast we see just how complicated people can be and how awful we are to each other how much we want to like each other and other people to like us and how we mess that up in the process and uh I think if he were a perfect character, if Jim Carrey were a more likable character, I don't think it would work as well. I don't think their dynamic would make as much sense. So none of it is bad by by any stretch. I just think I was a lot more attracted to Jim Carrey the first time I watched this. And 
um, you know, be like, oh, he can be sensitive too and not just goofy and, you know, crossing his eyes. Um, watching it now, it's like, it, he's still charming. I just think it's like, I don't like what he says to Kate Winslet, man. You know, I can't, I can't get those mean words out of him. I, I don't think she's as mean to him as he is to her. I think that's my only right. gripe. I agree. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's interesting about this movie because we, we talk obviously a lot about like the romantic angle, of it, but even on just like the level of like memories overall, like when it displays that it is such a movie about like that feeling you have where it's like, oh yeah, remember when I was a kid and I did this dumb thing? How fucking dumb was that that I did that shit? <laughs> like it has that kind of vibe of like looking back with like so much regret about a relationship and then like by the end of it it's all about kind of finding well at least there were these like little moments that we cling to that are kind of happy and i think that's what's fascinating about particularly like the ending with uh you know carrie and winslet kind of like finding each other and then realize like well maybe i don't know maybe those guys just fucked it up maybe we can like do different and it feels kind of like a weird thing where there's the more hopeful reading on that that like maybe they can drag in and do like a better job at it which feels more like the gondry side of things Versus there's also the Charlie Kaufman read of, like, <laughs> if we if we forget our past, we're doomed to repeat it, literally, <laughs> in this case. And I think that's what's so fascinating is, like, I think it takes, it, it kind of straddles both those things in, like, you mentioned, like, the kind of messy, complicated human way. I mean, like, to, I guess since we're on the ending, I, like, I, I love the ending of this movie. I think it's it has really aged, for me at least, really well over time. Like, and I think... this is true for like many for most movies but like they change with you over time and like when I watched this movie in high school and I was definitely like depressed and like probably like brokenhearted I was like no the ending means that they're they're gonna get back together and then they're gonna break up because like it's awful and love is awful or whatever (laughs) but but I think now like it is such a complicated ending and I think it's a really like for me at least my kind of take on the ending is that like it is these two people realizing like well, there's the chance that we just, like, this doesn't work out. Like, I always think, like, her line when, uh, when Carrie is like, I, I don't think those things about you. And she says, but you will. And, like, it's this idea of, you know, yeah, it could end really badly, but part of it is the memories, like, literally, like, the, the whole movie is those memories and, like, creating those memories and experiencing, like, life and love and all of those things, which I just, is, very bittersweet to me because like there is always that chance of like well what they maybe they do break up because like they discover these things about them but i think the journey and the experience is part of it which i just i don't know it it really kind of still sticks with me even after seeing it like so many times that is interesting because i kind of had the reverse thing i remember when i was a kid and i saw this uh when i was in high school and i hadn't been in a relationship there was that kind of thing of like, oh no, but you know, like Kate Winslet, she's so charming and goofy. She's so wild. Like she can get me out of my shell too. And now revisiting, it's just like, oh man, yeah, this is all moving so fucking fast. Like we mentioned, like they're, they meet each other on that train and then like they're back at her apartment. And it's just like, oh yeah, you think about having a kid and stuff like that? It's just like, whoa, <laughs> hold on, whoa, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're really cooking with gas all of a sudden. Um, and I think that's what's really fascinating going back to is like, you mentioned that kind of bittersweet quality. Kind of like really realizing that we're just like, I don't know, people are just like fucked up, man. And they went through, like everybody goes through their own weird shit. 
and then you try and kind of like make it coalesce together and you know sometimes it's like sugar and honey and sometimes it's like fucking oil and water <laughs> it just doesn't fucking match up and i think that's what's fascinating you can see why these two like, like i said are like attracted to each other and why they would kind of have that almost foolhardy like no fuck it let's do it again but also it's just like there's certain like human incompatibilities that you know who knows what happens with their second attempt at the relationship but i think it's it's a movie where like you mentioned brian it's it's all about like look this could fuck up but who's to say we can't try again kind of thing is like interesting even though it's you know like i said that charlie kaufman cynicism is still lingering yeah throughout but a pall cast over the whole thing even like right before the very end but like toward the end i love when uh i think she says it's gonna be over soon what do we do and or no i guess it could have been him saying it but someone says enjoy it i like botch that by not knowing who said what but i think, I think it's I, when she says it at the at the beach house right like, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yes i just i just love that and i feel like that's also a very like in summation part of the movie and its message and i love that because it's good and the bad all together all the time all at once hey <laughs> that's almost a movie <laughs> I, I do feel like this movie, though, like, as this, like, portrait of, like, love, romance, like, relationships, it is one of the more insightful that I, especially of kind of the 21st century, I think, like, it, all these things that we're kind of reading into it, but I, I think a lot about how this movie has, like, aged, and especially now in, like, 2024 watching it, and, like, I don't know, I was thinking of, like, the equivalent of this, like, procedure is, like, when you like break up with someone and you have to like go through your like Instagram and like delete all of like your pictures of like being with them or like you see you go onto like their Instagram and see that they've deleted all your pictures of you and you're just it is that like weird heartbreaking thing but like I don't know it's a really interesting way that I think this movie has aged and watching it now I I, th I thought a lot about that for some reason. Well yeah especially because like the the whole message of the movie by the end of it really is just like I don't know, we have to, like, remember those things that we went through. Right. Like, when you have that weird realization of, like, I erased, like, two years of my life where I was with you in a relationship. It's like, no, you're erasing, like, not just, like, this person, but, like, a part of yourself when you do that. Yeah. And to the degree that you want to, like, integrate them into other older memories. Like, I, we haven't mentioned much about it, but I love all this stuff when he's a kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. And particularly where they have, like, whenever they edit from, like, you know, it's uh, either, like, a little kid actor or then Jim Carrey in the same outfit. Like, when he's getting beaten up in the superhero, like, costume and, like, the whole bird thing. Like, that feels very close to, like, certain, like, uncomfortable childhood memories where it's just like, oh, boy, yeah. I have those I put way in the back of my head and I don't want to bother with. But, yeah, that it, it, just, like, that's especially where, like, Gondry's, like, forced perspective stuff, like, the kitchen and how oh, that kitchen. looks and how, like... He's super small versus Kate Winslet. <laughs> I just love, like, when she gets dressed up in that outfit, this dream version of herself, like, oh, fuck, this dress is great. Yeah. I wish I could take this with me. I love this kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I also love every time she calls him Baby Joel. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the stuff where it feels like Jim Carrey's at his most Carrieisms, Like, when he's in the little pajamas, totally. he's, like, moving around the floor, like, oh, I'm, like, about four years old. Oh, God. Oh no! When he does his like his eye thing, trying to wake himself up, which I think is just yes. mm -hmm. it's so funny. But also, I love that it like he's like, oh, that worked. Like for a minute, it worked. <laughs> right. I don't know, Lily. Did you have any other of the dream imagery you wanted to comment on? 
I mean, I, I, it's the little stuff that's also probably basic, but like the, the snow falling or the rain falling inside the, the apartment, um, you know, whenever they're in a car that's kind of driving by his life or seeing other things, just little scenes and vignettes as they're driving by, um, which was also cool I, watching this behind the scenes thing and uh them talking about there was like one guy in particular who was like yeah there were a couple scenes where there was a car inside of a building and i thought we were done with that and then we had to reset because michelle said there was another scene and he sounded like really curmudgeonly about it um it's all just seamless and effortless seeming um obviously not at all effortless but it's just stunning and i love seeing like hints of of the visual style and so many things following it Another simple one like that is when he's in, like, that weird chair that he's, like, strapped into and, like, he's in different environments, like, on the street corner where you see, like, they're having that argument and stuff like that. But it's lit in the same exact way as it is, like, when he's actually in the office and stuff like that. Or even the just the simple imagery of, like, that bed on the snowy beach. Oh, yeah. It's a great... Like, it's just a perfect little simple image. So it's just, yeah. like, I don't know, we put a bed in the middle of this beach, but, like, it says so much. That's, like, the most indie kind of parts of this movie. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, we put the prop in the middle of, like, the outdoors. It's classic indie. <laughs> I, I love when he's a kid and he's, like, they're, he's taking a bath in the sink. And it, like, <laughs> it transitions from, like, that to, like, it, I think it's them watching, like, the movie, like, the drive-in theater. And it, like, Carrie does, like, this. Like, and he's, like, all wet. And it's just such a, like, very simple, like, effect where they probably just had, like, a bucket of water, like, off to the side of the camera and, like, whatever. But it it's so effective in like just like like we were talking about that like seamless moving from memory to memory like thing i i i just love all of that stuff or even like when the wall disappears while they're at that drive-in yeah and like digital this is a great example also of like really simple digital effects right as well they're just like so seamless and perfect especially for like this kind of indie or budget it just feels like oh we're just casually making like the entire world crumble subtlety is very powerful True. Yes. Something that more filmmakers maybe should learn <laughs> in a modern context. <laughs> well, um, but some, also, we've mentioned a lot about the supporting cast. We haven't talked much about Tom Wilkinson, who recently uh, passed away. R.I.P. Yes. Yes. And I know um, Brian and I will get more of a chance to talk about him because in a couple of weeks we'll be doing our Michael Clayton episode. Hell yeah. Those baguettes. Nice. Yeah, those baguettes. <laughs> get ready, folks. Coming up. But Lily, how do you feel about Wilkinson? Maybe in general, but also in this movie in particular. Oh, he's wonderful, and I think just one of those actors who he's not a strictly character actor by many means, but by any means, but he's just like in so many things that I think a lot of people don't know him by name, but they know his face. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I forgot he was in this one, and then just looking at like other um, Charlie Kaufman. Uh, and Michel Gondry, or I guess it was Michel Gondry I was looking at. He's in a couple other projects of his. He's well, he's uh, in Green Hornet. I Green Hornet. That's Morgan's what I was. Dad. Thinking. Right. I did not mean to bring that up again. Um, <laughs> this is secretly a Green Hornet episode, everybody. <laughs> oh God! But he's got like a, a very like calming, warm presence, but can still inhabit a lot of different uh, characters. But I think that's why he's so effective here because he does seem like he could be the the ring master of these kind of like crazy technicians that that work for him and they all really 
it's funny and sweet how much they really respect him and talk about like how he's such a genius and um i think that's so interesting and then uh reveal with with him and kirsten dunce does complicate things but i don't know if anyone could kind of balance that dichotomy or that kind of contradictory good guy bad guy thing i think he's a good pick yeah especially when like he just has that sort of like working man blue collar almost version of like a scientist in this case where like i mentioned because totally. of like, the office and everything but when he's like doing jim carrey's blood pressure and stuff and he's asking like so is it brain damage possible like well the whole procedure is <laughs> technically brain damage <laughs> which is a great line in the movie but also like it kind of displays like his authority and his bedside manner that initially just like makes the whole front kind of work of this entire establishment but then the moment like he picks up the phone it's like what what's going oh Oh, God, hold on. I gotta get over there. Like, he has that kind of, like, he's so tired. Even when it's not, like, him waking up in the middle of the night, he looks like he's just gone through a whole life. He has that kind of, like, great character actor face. He does look very tired in this movie. He, he looks tired in a lot of movies. And, like, I, like Lily, you mentioned that he's kind of, he has a very warm presence in this movie. And, like, I agree. He, he looks like a like a doctor. Like, he, I don't know. There's something about him in this oh, movie that really? just looks like a, like a doctor. But, like... There is something, like, in a lot of movies that is a bit menacing about him and a bit kind of, like, I don't know. There's, like, a hidden kind of menace there, which kind of, like, makes the kind of subplot with uh, Kirsten Dunst. He adds to that complicated nature of that relationship. Um, but, yeah, he he's so great and just really, like, nails the, the tone and, like, what he's doing and everything. I love, and, like, when he's just working on the laptop, just being, like, and he closes it, and he's like, okay, I'm done. Time to go home. And then, like, Ruffalo <laughs> yes. has to call him back in, like, you know, to, to, to finish doing the procedure or whatever. Like, yeah, but I, I, I love him in this movie. He's great. Yeah, and especially this was around the time, like, this and Clayton, where I kind of felt like, oh, this is one of those guys that I recognize. Like, he's one of the first character actors who I'm like, I want to follow anything he does. Like, even when he pops up in something like Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol oh, yeah. for a scene and just gives all the gravitas, just like, you've been disavowed by the IMF. It's like, you believe, like, oh, man, I fucked up. Tom Wilkinson's having a private meeting with me in a car. I know I done fucked up. Same with um the, the year after this. He's in Batman Begins. He plays uh, Carmine Falcone, oh. and he's, like, so great oh, in that scene. Great. That was definitely the first time I saw him in anything, yeah. Yeah. He's so great. He's, um, in, he's in The Lone Ranger. Who could forget that? <laughs> well, I mean, he, he's the star of the movie, right? There aren't two other actors who star in that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's just him talking to green screen horses. He, he plays both roles. <laughs> oh, no. Tom, no. <laughs> oh, God. We've mentioned the Green Hornet and the Lone Ranger this episode. We're just going so 20, early 2010s cursed movies box office bomb like you know he's also in rush hour so i'll palate cleanse with with that not a complicated movie at all no especially uh no one directed that movie right god damn it we can't have nice things i shouldn't ever no we can have have eternal sunshine though which let's go ahead and do i guess any lingering final thoughts uh we'll start with lily any lingering final thoughts and uh about eternal sunshine the spotless mind the fact that it has such lasting power and that nearly every person i talk to about this movie loves it i don't think i've ever met anyone who doesn't when i mentioned to like 
my friends that I was going to be talking about this, they got, they like lit up and they're like, oh, I really want to rewatch that. I think it's like a, an inherently cozy feeling uh, ascribed to it because it is just such a, such a warm, even though complicated movie. It's really just remained in the culture, like we've said, in its, uh, what it's influenced, but also just like, I mean, years, years after it had come out, it, you know, I would see GIFs on Tumblr and then I still see it like on Twitter, like this, people are still obsessed. And I love that because there are plenty of movies that people obsess over that I don't get the hype, but this is one that I absolutely do and I think deserves it. Yeah. Well, Brian, what about your final thoughts on Eternal Sunshine? Oh man, I I love this movie. I think I think it's a masterpiece, one hundred percent. And like, yeah, it has become these like this weirdly like beloved movie among like people around our like our age and younger like love this movie. Like even people I meet who like aren't really into movies, like you know, aren't really like super into it. Like we are like love this movie and like it it is really beloved. But and I love it. I think it's great. I think you know it's it's fascinating to look at you know, Carrie in this movie, like, it's such a weird Carrie performance where he's so, like, obviously playing against type, but he's just so broken in this movie in a way I just love, and I, I think Winslet is so charming and so, like, great in this movie. The whole supporting cast is great. We didn't really mention, but the, the music is made, is by John Bryan, of course, who yes. also did, like, Punch Drunk Love and, you know, is a great uh, musician in his own right, but great music that really complements that kind of like quirkiness but also a bit of that darkness that's in there like his music is really great for that and yeah I, I mean it's it's a movie that has not really aged for me as well like I, I was kind of nervous to rewatch it but I I love it and it is very like Lily like you said like very cozy like I I, I feel like this was definitely a movie I watched when I was like sick, I feel like for some reason, like it just has the, those like very cozy vibes, very indie vibes, of course, as well. And yeah, I love it. I think it's maybe, maybe my favorite movie that Charlie Kaufman has ever, you know, worked on in any capacity. I just, I think it's a really like, as much as Charlie Kaufman, I think has had a couple of like really lightning in a bottle moments with like being John Malkovich, but even with like, I would say something like Synecdoche, New York, which has become kind of beloved over the years. I think this is his most fascinating and, and best work. And I love Michel Gondry's direction on this. I think it's great. And he just has a really, really keen style that I just really like. It's, it's so fascinating. And I, I would love to see him return to, you know, making kind of movies in a, in a, in more of a capacity. Cause I think he's mainly been doing like TV and stuff, but um, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, yeah. And like everyone's been mentioning, I was worried revisiting this, um, especially considering like, I remember at the time when I first saw this, it was kind of like the more, one of the more hyped up kind of a uh, back in the day, the pass around a DVD movie. Uh, cause this was definitely a movie that I first saw where like, I know one of my cousins was like, Oh, you should watch eternal science on the spotless mind, man. It's so great. Um, and uh, I remember like being just like my mind being blown by it in that way that we we're talking about where it's just like, it's, uh, what it's doing with like the untraditional narrative structure and how it's commenting on a lot of like very human things, whether they're like very like positive and flighty and 
beautiful or the like really uncomfortable things we don't really talk about. And I think in that way, revisiting it, it kind of feels like memory where you are just like looking back at something and you remember all like the big sort of like flashier positive moments. And then especially going back to it this time, it did remind me of a lot more of just uncomfortable things uh, about myself <laughs> to some degree, like you were kind of mentioning, Brian. Uh, but also at the same time, a lot of things that like I how I used to feel back in like that high school age, but how I've grown at the same time. It does do that mm-hmm. great thing where like a great movie grows with you, like was previously mentioned, where it's just like it you see it from a completely different perspective every time, but it still has a lot of those great qualities that still make you like fall for it, even though it's for very different reasons than why you initially loved it. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm glad at least like 20 years later, it still really holds up, but, um, let's go ahead and get into our, uh, usual segment here between the lines. Between the lines, every uh, episode, Brian, myself, and a guest, uh, like Lily, if she just so happens to want to participate, uh, will uh, recommend another film that relates to you know the movie we're talking about in some way, might be an alternate pick for an eye for indie kind of thing. And um, my pick, I'm going to go ahead and go here first, is a film from 2007 that did win at least one Oscar. Um, it is the uh, Joe Carney film, Once. Uh, which is uh, this Irish movie that is about uh, these two uh, musicians. Uh, literally, their character names are Guy and Girl, uh, played by uh, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Igrolov. I apologize, spam. I fucked that up so dearly. Uh, but uh, at the same time, these two uh, musicians who initially find each other were like, uh, the guy just, has just recently broken up with a woman and... Uh, the girl is just kind of, like, you know, moving around, trying to, like, find her place in this town and stuff like that. And they end up collaborating and, uh, you know, they start singing on these buskers um, on the street. And they kind of start getting, like, a bit more of a following. And they have, like, more of a, a great collaboration that turns into a bit of a romance and how that kind of, you know, develops and eventually kind of falls apart. Spoilers uh, with this little uh, movie. But it is a true indie in that it was made for, like, $150,000. So much more low budget than the Eternal Sunshine, Mr. Michelle Gondry. Um, it feels very like grounded, and all the musical performances are, I believe, just like done on set, like on set audio and everything. Uh, but they're all written by the two actors, and they're uh, actual like songs that they've like developed. And particularly the one "Falling Slowly," which this won a Best Original Song Oscar back in the day. And I remember watching the these Oscars and being like so unbelievably moved by that entire song when they performed it at the Oscars, like without any context. And then watching the movie, it's still just as devastating, <laughs> if not more wow. so. Um, and I find Joe Carney to be like a really fascinating director. He usually deals with music, like I really like Sing Street. Um, and uh, he did also do uh, Begin Again, which feels like a lesser version of the same movie, weirdly, with Ruffalo. <laughs> 
uh, speaking to oh, yeah. um, uh, the current moving. Uh, but I think once definitely, I can see why people were like instantly fascinated by him with this movie. And I feel like it's definitely one of the ones from that Oscar period that has been a bit forgotten with time. And uh, I would hope to recommend it just so more people would watch it. Cause I think it, it deserves a lot more attention, a lot more love out there. And have you guys seen this one? No. No, I I love Sing Street though. That's I was gonna say, yeah, Sing Street's act. great. It's a great movie. Which, um, yeah, I, I hadn't really dived into his into John Carney that much, and I honestly had not heard of this movie to be honest. But uh, yeah. yeah, apologies. I I also called him Joe Carney, not John Carney. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> well, you know him personally, so you know him by Joe. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Me and Joe go way back. <laughs> no, yeah, I'd love to watch it though. It sounds great, and um. I think he has a really great, like, you know, his sensibilities for, for making musicals are really great, at least based on Sing Street, which I genuinely think about all the time. <laughs> uh, never meaning to rewatch, so, yeah. Drive it like you stole it, man. Oh, man. What Classic. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your pick, Brian? Uh, my pick. I'm going with another Charlie Coffin movie that's been... It's been named many times, but I want to talk about it a bit more because I... Rewatched it and I hadn't seen it in a very long time. Uh, I'm gonna recommend adaptation, uh, directed by Spike Jones. And I didn't like this movie when I first saw it. I remember. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think I had wa- watched it because of Charlie Kaufman. I kind of I watched Eternal Sunshine and I was like, I want to watch everything this guy has made. And um I don't know. It was a weird movie. It, it it just really put me off for some reason. Um despite like the fact that I love all of Spike Jones other movies, which this also serves as a PSA, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, I loved this movie watching it again. I was really blown away by it. And just kind of this weird meta narrative that I forgot how perfectly it is integrated into this movie like the movie you're watching is the movie that Nicolas Cage who plays Charlie Kaufman is writing and he's got a twin brother also played by Cage who is really great in this movie by the way is like as both both characters in this is just really 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 stellar um but also Meryl Streep and also this won an Oscar uh for Chris Cooper which I was really surprised that uh, he had won for Best Supporting Actor that year, but um, he's great in the movie. And as well, a small cameo from Tilda Swinton, which we will also talk about on the Michael Clayton episode. Um, but the the P- the PSA element is Spike Jones. please make another movie. I, I miss you. Please. Please. I think all the time about this, that sort of rumor that came out where he was like filming something with Frank Ocean and Brad Pitt. Right. And nothing ever happened at that. And I just, I don't know. And I, I love that Beastie Boys documentary that he made, which was like a, a very interesting documentary and kind of the way that it was made. But um, yeah, I mean, her is, is, is 11 years old this year, which is crazy to think about. I can feel the gray hairs settling in. But um, yeah, Adaptation is incredible. It, it's a great movie about like, writing and also just the creative process it's a great movie about like it's charlie kaufman looking at his place in hollywood especially at that time where he had been like he had made being john malkovich and 
really kind of assessing what his place was and what he could do and what he wants to do, but maybe isn't able to do because of the industry and everything. And it's, it's an incredibly smart movie still to this day. Lily, as you mentioned, you love this movie as well. I don't know. Do you, do you have anything to, to add for adaptation? I'm just dying to rewatch it again because I've been on a real Nick Cage kick uh, lately. I watched, I did a double feature of um, Valley Girl and Mandy um, just to get the kind of full (laughs) breadth of his uh, range. And uh, he's like steadily become one of my favorite actors. I think because there's like a charming quality that I didn't really realize till adaptation, which is he can make fun of himself. He is a goofball i think he was misunderstood that people thought he was like some serious like take himself very seriously like tom cruise capital a actor but and you know being from the coppola's like a lot of prestige and pressure there but i think that that movie is one of the most like revealing and exemplary of the fact that he he can make fun of himself he can embody the like most pathetic type of character and still be so charming and redeemable um and it's also very satisfying that he's kind of split in two because you get such different um perspectives on like the hollywood machine the people in it the personalities and the uh idiosyncrasies so it's it's a great movie i need to rewatch it and meryl streep incredible she's really great it's a really kind of subtle like you know nuanced like street performance not that she isn't like isn't that normally but like it i feel like she often gets kind of lauded for her like bigger performances but um yeah it's a great street performance as well she's a lot more down to earth and casual in that movie in a way that's kind of refreshing yeah her like snorting the like the the drugs off the table and everything if you've yeah. ever looked up susan orlean who she's playing her twitter i don't know if it still exists since the great downfall of twitter but um she's one of the funniest people to ever be on that app she is just so chaotic and so funny i actually think meryl streep toned her down um also <laughs> susan orlean um wrote an article that became the movie blue crush and i just think that's a fun fact mm-hmm. yeah and though by the way we were mentioning cage earlier we didn't mention this but he was the first choice for the carry role in eternal sunshine which i find mm. fascinating yeah weird right <laughs> i love cage i don't know if he could play as like dejected and broken i guess maybe like cage in like pig mode which i love him and pig but like i don't know if... right it might be a bit overwhelming yeah <laughs> yeah to the movie necessarily right um but i mean i love adaptation i think particularly we haven't mentioned uh the amazing one scene turn from brian cox in that movie <sighs> Which I think was the first time I, like, well, no, it was probably, like, X2 or some shit like that. But that was the first time I'm like, oh, man, this guy. This guy's, like, so great. Just, like, him <laughs> dressing down Nick Cage in that fucking seminar yes. is so good. And I remember, like, seeing that in, like, early college and just genuinely breaking my brain. It was like, wait, so it's, like, a movie that he's writing, and then it's all this. And I just, like, the... The construction of it, like, nearly broke my brain at the time. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I still think it's pretty great, for sure. It's not my favorite of uh, the uh, sort of Kaufman-Spike Jones collaborations. I would still say being John Malkovich, I prefer a bit more. But I still think that one's tremendous. But speaking of Spike Jones, Lily, I think you have a related film uh, for Between the Lines here. I do, and it's been said and hinted around. But I chose the 2013 Spike Jones movie, Her. 
yet another movie I waited too long to see because it just seemed super sad. And I was like, no, thanks. Life is already sad. Why would I put myself through that? But um, it is such an incredible love story, breakup movie, uh, science fiction uh, film. And I think that's what drew me to this choice and connection to Eternal Sunshine um, is I'm such a fan of like romantic, cozy sci-fi, like movies where that's just like happens to be an element that just so happens to be somewhat futuristic. That's so not like mm -hmm. the focus. Um, I was telling y'all about that movie i'm your man the german movie with uh dan stevens and um it's also similar even though the whole like core of that is like a woman uh dating a male robot but uh the opposite of that in her with joaquin phoenix and probably my favorite performance of his um and probably my favorite scarlett johansson performance someone who i think has been like um very uh sexualized and like her physicality is very much like a part of her so it was very cool to have her be in a role where you don't see her uh, i think she really proved her acting chops there because it's just all her voice and it's so um evocative and visceral all the same and how it's also similar to eternal sunshine is that you just see kind of like a what if scenario of a relationship not the like messy linear side of it uh, that we see in real life playing out slowly steadily painfully pleasurably whatever but sort of like a relationship tailored to this one man and when I say it like that it sounds like the most like awful patriarchal like synthesis of a man's like fantasies but it's not um and that's what's so brilliant is similar to adaptation where Charlie Kaufman is a character, the main character. It could be self-indulgent that Spike Jones wrote this movie, directed it, and it's, he said, sort of like his response to Sofia Coppola's uh, Lost in Translation. But it's not self-indulgent in a pretentious, uh, like, obnoxious way. It's very, like, introspective, self-reflective, critical of oneself, Um and I don't know, it's just not enough romances do that. It's either all pain or all like sappiness and saccharin. And, you know, what I love about her is that it's very gut-wrenchingly, beautifully poetic uh, and heartbreaking, but also very silly and real. And also Spike Jones is like a little animated character in a video game, like saying, fuck you <laughs> to so Joaquin. Crazy. Like that over and over again will just play in my head. Um, and it's awesome, but I'm I'm just obsessed with like romantic, cozy sci-fi because God forbid there may be any hard sci-fi with also a, a viable love story. But um, you know, Peggy Sue got married somewhere in time, like these romantic time travel ones. I'm a fan of that. Um, anything with like a side of sci-fi, I think, is super cool. Here's a a, a weird revelation about me. Um, according to my letterbox, which I have used since about the time her came out. I have seen her six times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it, has, it, it is kind of similar to Eternal Sunshine, a movie I haven't seen in a very long time that I am a little bit nervous to rewatch. But yeah, I also love, I loved this movie. And um, I, I, Joaquin is so great. I mean, he's probably my favorite actor of all time. And uh, yeah, there's something so like... I don't know, you want to just give him a hug in this movie. He's so, like, you know, adorable in a weird way. And, like, I also think Scarlett Johansson 
is really great in this movie. I, it's a, it is a great performance, which is kind of odd to think about. Yeah, because you don't see her body, but like you really get a sense of like her personality coming through the movie, and like she also just has a very distinctive voice as well, which I love. But um, yeah, and also a great supporting cast in this movie with like Amy Adams, like Rooney Mara. Uh, Chris Pratt is really good in that movie, which is weird to think yes. about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Olivia Wilde. Uh, Olivia Wilde is great, yeah. And, like, Bill Hader is in. He's, like, one of the, the, the chat, like, people. So is Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Right, yes. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I love her. And um, double PSA, Spike Jones make another movie. Come on. <laughs> really underline it. Uh, but yeah, I love her. I remember that, that was one of my favorite movies of like that decade. And I remember I didn't see it for like a long gap um, until like the last couple of years. But it's so, it still like works so well for me. I think, particularly considering one, Scarlett Johansson was like a late addition because it was originally Samantha Morton on the set did right, like yeah. the like voice stuff. And she was going to like be the final voice. And then Scarlett like dubbed over and it doesn't feel at all like there's a disconnect whatsoever with that. It feels like perfect. Um, but also I just love the fact that with like the sort of sci-fi angle of it, that like it's this movie about like this weird relationship and how it breaks apart because of basically the singularity, which is amazing to me. <laughs> it was like, I don't know, we're different people, you're a human, um, and then artificial intelligence that's grown beyond my <laughs> the, the <laughs> confines that humanity's put me in, so I'm going somewhere else. But I don't know, maybe you might show up later. Who knows? Who knows? Uh but yeah, especially also that it's like of these sort of, like, near-future movies, it feels like one of the more plausible ones. Truly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see, within ten years, we live in, like, sort of a her society, <laughs> quite yeah. frankly. I think all the time about how this movie kind of came out pre, like, Tinder. And, like, pre yes. kind of, like, that, you know, Bumble, all those, like, dating apps and everything. And it's such a fascinating, like, weirdly, like, prescient movie about that kind of thing. Yeah. Totally. And I'll underline as well the Spike Jones, please... Make another movie. Please, we know you're listening. <laughs> Once you're done acting in, like, fucking Babylon and, like, I don't know, what else was he in recently? Jackass Forever, of course. That bad Grandpa <laughs> or something, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, right, talk- maybe maybe the Babylon thing gave him an, another edge, like, I need to direct again, I'm playing I mean, a director. Direct Bad Grandpa 2 or something, or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> something. <laughs> jackass five ever do it sure yeah just for making take a backseat for a movie <laughs> come on um but yeah, let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there in case you want to add them to your watch lists and whatnot uh my pick was the 2007 oscar award-winning film once uh mine was the 2002 spike jones directed charlie kaufman written adaptation and mine is the 2013 spike jones written and directed movie her Yes, and we're going to be winding up here, but we want to thank some people before we get out of here. We want to thank Burial Grid for our intro and outro music. Uh, purchase this music at burialgrid.com. Uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork finder at mishkyle96 on Twitter. And thanks to our sinuous Patreons over at uh, patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for individual movies we cover and also uh, get to listen to bonus audio stuff like... Uh, Around this time, uh, Brian and I would have put out our audio review for The Beekeeper, which we've seen and we love, and we recommend yeah. you all watch it and then become <laughs> a patron and listen to our very goofy review, <laughs> where we just were baffled and fascinated in every degree by Beekeeper. 
Um, and uh, also we'll be doing a retrospective of The Critic, the 90s animated series, uh, which will be fun. And also we'll just uh, we'll announce here, this is the first time on the main feed you all will be able to hear it, in February our big bonus audio thing will be um, our awards sort of program thing that we're planning. And we've come up with a name, which is the uh, LOSES, which is the Letters of Cinematic Excellence Awards. Brian and I will uh, be talking about, you know, our, you know, picks for best film and the acting category, cinematography, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and that'll be our big bonus one for February. So you get access to all that stuff for just the $1. Um, and our last person to thank is Lily. Thank you for so much for being yes, a guest on the you. show. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if you wish to be found? Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. Um, I am on Instagram at lily.lavens, letterboxed at easywriter, that's E-A-S-Y-W-R-I-T-E-R. And whatever is left of Twitter, um, I'm on there at Lily is okay. And my name is L-I-L-I, by the way. Most people spell it wrong, but you guys spelled it right, so important thing we did yeah. it on this <laughs> workflow thing that you guys can't see <laughs> that's what counts though and in the description hopefully i'll continue to spell it right um but uh you can follow us on various socials like instagram blue sky if twitter is still around we're still there probably at cinema number two letter and uh, you can find me specifically on stuff like letterbox and twitter at not the who's tommy and you also do some writing at uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. Uh, and I'm also kind of on Twitter sometimes um, at B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E and the number three. Uh, or you can also follow me on Letterboxd at my name uh, where, you know, watching movies, listing stuff, ranking, all that good stuff. So yeah, uh, follow me on there. And uh, for more of just the audio stuff, you can uh, follow us on places like Apple Podcasts or wherever uh, you listen to your podcasts on, you know, whatever pocket casts or such that you all have out there. Uh, if you're listening on Talk Dome Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows that are on the network that are just besides us, like Brian and I were recently on the uh, Talk Dome Society podcast with uh, Marcelo and Siobhan, where we had a lot of fun talking about gravity and various other <laughs> awards-related <laughs> things. It was very enjoyable. Um, and, uh, you can, uh, dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for, you know, the past three scenes of this show or the old double-edged double bill show where you might hear Lily on one of, uh, the, the last episodes. You were one of the last guests we had on that show. Oh, After iconic. you were just like, we gotta stop it. We so gotta iconic. stop it. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can't continue. We can't top this possibly. We have to burn it all. Or I start. ruined it. <laughs> Tainted it. I don't know. That's the more Charlie Kaufman read yeah, exactly. <laughs> on your guest appearance. But uh, yeah, if you can't support us on the Patreon, you know, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility so people won't forget us. So we don't disappear from people's memories in weird Michelle Gondry kind of clever ways. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, we'll just tease our next episode, our end for new in our one, one Oscar series. Uh, will be uh, about another round, the Mads Mikkelsen Best uh, International Film, the first international film uh, winner, quote-unquote, with that oh, yeah. title of the award. Um, I'm curious, Lily, have you seen this one? Yes, I um, I loved it. I And I contemplated picking this. I just, I didn't know if I had as much to say other than Mads Mikkelsen, hot, 
uh, alcohol good. I get it. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'll definitely have to listen, though. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I watch it with my whole family at like, you know, weird, depressing COVID time. So I should probably give it another watch with a new perspective. Yeah, I'll put that on the Blu-ray, by the way. Drinking good Mads Mikkelsen hot. <laughs> Lily Lavins. <laughs> It's all for free. Take it. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about that one, Brian, especially. It feels like a very, like, we had a rough time thinking of, like, of the sort of new, our 2020 forward. With, like, movies that have won an Oscar, not a lot of great picks. Right. Really. <laughs> <laughs> but this was kind of feels like the one from that, like, 2020 Oscar year that, like, still kind of lingers a bit, right? Like, I feel like I see that clip of you know, the ending of that movie on Twitter circulating like every once in a while. It feels like it's still kind of like, you know, lingers, which, you know, of course is due to the, the Mads Mikkelsen of it all. Cause God, what a hottie. Oh, we'll be going mad about Mads. Yeah. Next time. Uh, but until then everybody, yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's get out of this bed that's on the beach. That's like snowy for some reason. Let's keep living our lives. I'm having deja vu. Spike Jones, TikTok. We'll we'll be waiting. 